friends, Chris Sauter, lead pastor at Neighborhood Church. We work hard at creating content every week that is life-giving and inspiring for people to live a full life. So we're inviting people who find this stream to be life-giving and encouraging to consider becoming a sustaining member at Neighborhood Church. That could be a one-time gift or to subscribe monthly. And you can do that at neighborhoodchurchmn.org. Thank you, friends, and enjoy the message. Chris, my pronouns are he, him, and I have the honor of speaking with you today. We are wrapping up a message, uh, a series called, um, What in the World is Going On? Or Who Are We? I didn't really give it a name, but that's essentially, essentially what it is. If, if you've been around neighborhood, like we planted this church um, six years ago in November, so like five and a half years ago. And that feels like, at days, it feels like that was three months ago. And then there's days it feels like it was 30 years ago. <laughs> uh, oh, man, so much. But um, when we uh, went to distance, right, with a pandemic, um, like, we don't, like, we as individuals don't start transforming and evolving. Um, and when you have a community of people to do that, when it comes to cultural or theological or emotional or personal issues, you get a read of the room of like, okay, did that land on me? That felt weird. Is it weird for them? You can interact with people. You can come talk to the speaker. You can pray with people. You can clean glasses. You have all these ways of um, processing. But when it's just like my face this close to you, uh, <laughs> all right, there's things you might hear or things you might read or things that we might say that... Um, you were like, I don't know how I feel about that. And you don't have a place to process. And we're coming back together. And you might be thinking, okay, who, who are we? And where am I in relation to this community? So we, um, we kind of put like who we are into three big buckets. And those three big buckets, we are so much more than those, but it covers a lot. Um, and even though like these values or these, um, these truths that we're talking about, they're going to... Um, the words might stay the same, but how you experience them, your lived experience, how you um, interact with them might evolve, they might shift, right? And that's good, because we're not going back to who we were, right? As a church, as a, a circle of friends, as a business, as schools, because we're no longer those people. We hopefully, to, to, to be human is to transform, to, to be human is to evolve. So it's how do these three big buckets, these three big truths, how do they still, um, interact with us today and how we move forward. And we talked the first one, and you can find these all um, um, at neighborhoodchurchmn.org. Um, you can find our podcast, or you can watch the little videos on Facebook. But three weeks ago, we talked on how we are a Christ-centered church. Imagine that, a church that believes in Jesus, <laughs> right? But Christ is not Jesus's last name, that the Christ we believe, um, this divine love, this divine presence is in all things. As the universe continues to ever expand, even there we find uh, the Christ. And if that's true, if the Christ is in all things, in all people, um, then we are all more connected. If we're all connected, then we all belong. And if we all belong, then we can all include. And that's the second one, that we're inclusive community. And people hear the word inclusive community and they think, oh, yeah, LGBT community, you, you include them. 
Yeah, absolutely. That means that like where we start is at a place of that you, before we even know your name, before we even know, um, see your face, we start at a place of that we believe you, that you belong. The belonging's in the person, not in how you um, act, not in how you vote, not in um, how you identify, it's the, the belongings in there. But to be inclusive community then is that we deeply believe we can be at different places, um, different views, different starting points, different vantage points when it comes to um, theology, when it comes to politics, when it comes to cultural issues. And is that hard? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is it complicated? Yes. Is it messy? Totally. Is it beautiful? 100%. This is how we grow. And this is what it means. This is what I think it means to be a Jesus looking person is to be a person that radically welcomes people. So you can listen to that one it was two weeks ago. Uh, and that leads us today of if, if everything belongs and we radically include, then we can really be a good and beautiful community. Again, I know I'm really killing it on these deep, profound thoughts. We're a church that believes that like God is good and we should be good people. All right. Yeah, it's true. I do believe that. And like, we've been saying that word intentionally for the past, um, six years because, um, and some people began to like roll their eyes at it because I say it so often, but I learned if you want a value in your family, in your workplace, or in like our community, it's something you would have to say over and over before it comes normalized. Because let me ask you this, when you think of the word Christian, right, Sarah, when you think of the word Christian, what adjectives come to mind? <laughs> exactly, right? What describing words? Uh, like float around and does good make it in the top five right there was a there was a survey done uh, an author of a book called unchristian and they did this survey the pew research, pew research center did this survey of thousands of people they asked them like um, when you hear the word christian what do you think and it was like the top seven were all things christians were against before i got to anything they were for and it was to be christian means that you're anti-gay to be Christian means that you are um, uh, anti-immigrant or anti-Muslim. It means that you are anti-poor, you are anti-science, you are anti-autonomy over your own body, you are anti-women, right? And that's where a lot of people think, oh, Christians, of course, yeah, we know for what they are against. And clearly this is what Jesus says, for they know you're my disciples, you know you're Christians by the way you exclude people, right? And But so many people, they hear the word Christian, the reason I bring up Christian is, Christian, the word Christian means to be a little mini Christ, essentially. That we're called to be a Jesus-looking people. And we have a Jesus-looking God, right? So, like, the way that people think about the church or Christians, why wouldn't they think that way about God? It's not that far-fetched. And even when I read that, I wasn't too surprised. I'm like, of course. And why is that? Because the, what people think about God and what they think about church is what the church for the last couple generations has told people. It's what they, they've somehow made hard lines in excluding people and, and, and putting an ideology of our own power, having an ideology around money and trying to be hip with it and wow, I mean, I, I just do it naturally, right? I can't help it. <laughs> but then, <laughs> I shouldn't even bring that up, right? But the, 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 the church, people think of the church just wants my money, the church just wants to control me. And really what we see in the life of Jesus is anything but that. And the reason I keep saying we're a good and beautiful community and like the statement goes, we believe in a good and beautiful God who wants nothing but good and beautiful things for us. And a lot of people can roll their eyes at them. And I don't blame them. Because what, what has been handed down to them about who God is, is that God is out there. That, that this God is 
angry. This God is um, out to get them. This God demands a blood sacrifice to, to, to um, quench the anger he has towards the, the darkness or the sin in the person. And why didn't you try harder? And that we needed, we needed that blood so God could just be okay. An angry, vengeful God is anything but what we see in the person of Jesus. So where do we get this whole good and beautiful thing? This is Jesus says it in John 10.10, 10, and it's all over the Gospels. And the Gospel meaning good news, and the good news is this. John 10.10, 10, Jesus says, For I have come to bring life, and life to the fullest. Right? That's a beautiful statement, because it implies that Jesus is present, that Christ is came for a specific reason. It's simply to come and bring life. And not just good enough life, not just average life, but a life to the full, which evokes the question, how would you know if it's full? Like what things would you be doing? What things would be happening around you or in you? What things would you be dreaming about? What things would be inspiring you where you could say and you point and say, oh yeah, 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 that's, that's the fullness in me. Because usually where people go, uh, if you look at it through like a cultural Christianity lens, people are saying, oh, it's all the things I don't do. That means I have a full life, right? I don't smoke the pot. I don't smoke the cigarettes. I don't judge unless I'm doing it silently, whatever, right? We have these, these lists of things that we believe make us holy and the things that we don't do make us holy. And where have we ever got the idea of holiness is somehow prescribed to what we don't do, right? It's like, it's like, why is holiness like a negative presence of something instead of the fullness of something, right? Isn't that what we see in the life of Jesus? So I want you to hold on to that, right? Because I'm going to kind of answer that question. Of Jesus, when he says in John 10, 10, right before it is when he says, the enemy comes to seek, kill, and destroy, right? There is this enemy. And some people have interpreted this um, as the enemy is the angel um, Lucifer who was like the closest to God and then also wasn't closest to God. And now um, there is this, that the, the devil or, or Satan um, is out there and is out there trying to um, pursue us and kill us and destroy us, right? And that works for a lot of people. But regardless of what you think about that, that, that what is happening in that death, what is causing it? Paul in Romans 6, 23 says, for the wages of sin is death, right? So whatever sin is, when we participate in that, like what we get as a result of it is death. So what is sin? Like uh, the actual definition of sin, the Greek word translated, just means to miss the mark. Um, Nadia Boltzweber, right, Nikki? That's her name? Yes? Okay, Nadia Boltzweber um, is a Lutheran pastor, a speaker, an author, and she is, um, she's dynamite. And I heard her in an interview say her definition of sin is um, uh, that sin is the human propensity to screw things up. And she uses a different word for the word screw that I'm not going to say on camera, right? And I, I, I giggled at that, which fits her personality, uh, but I, I did giggle at that because it's true. Like, humans have the uncanny ability of using violent words to describe people, right? We have this uncanny ability just to turn off our feelings or turn a blind eye to poverty that's happening in our community, to um, violence that's happening, not just in the world, but just in, in our own neighborhood. We have this uncanny of, of ability of walking into room and justify, justify our anger, justify our, our judgment and what people are wearing or, uh, or, or their bodies. I mean, well, it makes me feel better, therefore, like we, that to, I love that definition of sin. The human propensity to screw things up. And so what Jesus is getting at is like, imagine there's, there's two streams. There's a stream of, that leads to death and destruction, 
right? If you want to use the word sin. Uh, Richard Rohr, um, he uses the word um, ego. When you let the ego-centric life, when you step into that stream of ego, what the, the ego demands is that your pleasure supersedes anyone else's consent, anyone else's permission. Your pleasure supersedes that. The ego um, violently demands that your um, financial viability is drastically more important than any other family members or any other employees. Your ego demands that your rights, right? Your rights are more important than any other people group's rights. It, your ego demands that any other policy change that might even, the idea that it might threaten your success or your access to wealth, or your access to whatever you wanna fill that gap into is met with violent resistance. The, the ego is a, an, I've, <laughs> I have been there, my friends, and is not a great place. And I would even say in like, uh, if I'm doing air quotes, if you're listening on podcasts, like um, um, in the church world, like the, the ego-centric life is absolutely there. I have seen, I've seen people bulldoze, I've seen leaders bulldoze through people and with the ego saying, no, my ego demands that my way of interpreting the Bible, my way of truth, my way of what I think justice is. And even though they bulldoze through that person and say, well, that's not my problem. That's yours. And that person is left tattered emotionally, right? And they can just move on. And they can do it believing it's, that's what God has invited them. That was what God has created them to do. The ego stream leads to death and destruction, right? And it is, it is tough. So, but when you step into this way of um, life to the fullest, what Jesus is inviting us into is into this divine love, the, the, this way of being, this way of, um, in this communal experience, this way of belonging and existing with one another, not demanding that my rights or my emotions or my finan financial viability, whatever it might be, doesn't supersede. It belongs with everyone else, right? Like, um, the, the, I was talking to my buddy about this, and he's reading um, a book on Taoism. And the book was written 5,000 years ago, right? 5,000 years ago. And it starts out by saying, these are the ancient writings of this, of this um, tradition. So it's even older than 5,000, right? Which put, dates it um, before any um, Hebrew Bible language that we might have. Right? But it speaks very similar things where some people start that as like a threat, right? <laughs> but uh, Rob Bell um, said this a long time ago. He said, if you experience that something's true and it is true, then maybe, maybe that truth might be true. If it's true, it's true, it's true. That these ancient truths get expressed in many different forms. And it talks about how um, the, this idea of water, whatever shape or whatever container it's in, it can level out and exist. It can fill it out and be present. And when it spills out, it can move and ebb and flow and take many different forms and never stops moving. It's never a threat. This idea of stepping into that flow and being content. It talked, my favorite one was um, when you walk by and you see a beaver dam, sit down, wait for the water to rise, then leave. This whole idea of this good and beautiful life it's not in something attaining something. It's not in conquering something. It's not in beating something. It's not in colonizing something. It's simply in this breath, in this moment, can you fill out that container? Can you ebb and flow? Can you rest and pause and believe that you are good? Believe in this space, in this moment, it is good. And I love that. 
Because, I, I mean, I say this often, but I'm a three on the Enneagram, and there's something inside of me that feels like I have to be killing it in every single field. I have to be the best partner, the best pastor, the best dad. Um, I have to make um, more money. I have to uh, be more impressive. There's all these things, and I'm trying to, like, that's my ego. That's absolutely my ego saying, you are only worth when. You're only loved if. Instead of pausing and realizing, no, I'm good right now. And why can I believe that? Because this God is that good right now. And if God is that good, then I can be good. And actually, I don't have to be something more, attain something more. I can simply just rest and be present, right? And receive. This is what a good and beautiful life looks like. You see, in a good and beautiful life, sometimes people... Um, <laughs> Sometimes, sometimes people uh, attribute it to saying, well, is it like a prosperity gospel? Like name it, claim it, right? Like I want that Oldsmobile. I claim it in the name of the Lord, right? No, like a good and beautiful life is not absent of pain. It's not absent of grief. Uh, a good and beautiful life is that even in the midst of grief, in the midst of pain, we still can exist. We can still be good. Why? Because that pain or that death or that grief or, or that frustrating relationship, right? It it, it doesn't define us. See, today is Pentecost Sunday. Did you guys know that? Today's Pentecost? Hallelujah! Hallelujah praise him. All right? Pentecost is... <laughs> Pentecost Sunday is, a, is when um, Jesus ends in the heaven. Before he does that, he goes, Hey, why don't you guys go vibe in the city? Wait for me. And there's, <laughs> and there's going to be this spirit. There's going to be this helper, right? And so all these people go in this upper room and they're vibing up there. It's men and women, right? It's women. And all of a sudden there becomes this, um, becomes this um, gust of wind and there's fire that um, pops on their head. And of course they start speaking, they, the word they use it is called speaking in tongues, right? Which can trip people out. But all speaking in tongues was they go out into the streets and they're speaking languages that they don't necessarily know. And why? Because there's thousands of people at this festival coming from all different parts, different regions where they have different languages. And all of a sudden they start hearing about this good and beautiful Christ. They start hearing about this new way of being human. They start hearing about how there is this divine love that includes all things. And they hear it not in, um, they hear it in their own mother tongue, which feels like I am seen, which feels like, oh, I'm included. Instead of it being only these group of people, only the beautiful people, only these people of intellect, only these people who are certain, they're saying, no, Everyone and all things and all people belong. That is a good and beautiful life. Something you don't have to um, strive for. You don't have to like violently take. You can just simply realize it exists and step into it. So how do you know you have a full life? What does the fullness mean? Think of a time. When were you the most content? When did you experience like, like a deep sense of belonging or joy? And maybe it is like in some mountaintop experience. Maybe it is a roller coaster, right? Maybe it is when you got that promotion at work or you finished that art project, whatever it might be. But when I, when I think about it, um, it was moments I simply had to be president, like meeting my kids for the first time. My job and Nikki's job, our lived experiences in the birth process was very different, right? I literally just got to vibe, right? But being able to see my kids for the first time is some of the most lasting 
the most lasting contentment and joy. I, I think of uh, Nikki and I were watching with Kira, our 10 year old, we were watching um, fried green tomatoes and watching my daughter laugh and yell out, Tawanda, right? And Kira just thought it was so inspiring and she, and she loved it and being able to watch her have that experience. And in the middle of it, they have they, this random picture of a news tabloid and says, woman sells husband's body parts to aliens. <laughs> and we, we had to pause the movie because we lost our minds. It was like, we've never heard of comedy. We're like, what is a joke? What does it mean to, what is this experience of laughter? We lost it, right? That wasn't planned. That, that wasn't some like, I have to make this happen. It was just being in that space. I think of me going for walks. I call it my secret trail. It's not so secret, but it makes yeah, me. Tell the people what you say when you see other people. I said, I'm surprised there's other people here. This is my secret trail. It just makes me feel special. I like feeling special. Um, but and on that trail in Jay Cook, I get to watch my little bulldog run up. And he's got this little bulldog walk. He's like, I'm a bulldog. I love it. And we get, there's this one part where I can stand on these rocks and I can, um, I can smell Jay Cook. I can hear the water. I can, um, I can feel the sun. And I have this, this, this feeling of, I really do belong. And this place here, this might be me scratching my own ego, but um, I really do feel in that space, that, that, that water, that slate, those trees, the sun, it's beautiful. And if that's beautiful, then I'm beautiful. Because I, I, if all this belongs, the rock, the water, the sun, me, my breath, uh, my energy, all of it is in relation to one another. So inherently, if it's beautiful, I'm beautiful. And if I'm beautiful, it's beautiful. And it's in me and I'm in it. And it just helps me just feel like there's something bigger than just like me trying to get this job done, me trying to get this work done. It's like, no, no, I belong to something so much more. So like, what does a full life look like to you? Like I said earlier, how would you know? Because when, when we can move beyond, we have to have this ultimate pleasure experience. We have these ultimate, like every night's prom night kind of mentality, which is kind of funny, but there's a lot of people who feel like, no, I'm never good enough. I will not have access to that kind of laughter. I will not have access to that circle of friends. I will not have access to that sort of belonging. And so what do they do? They shut it down. How many people don't really could get behind, let alone that there's a good God, right? How many people feel like, I can never be good? And this is what I love about our church, right? Is that if we are a good and beautiful community, it's not just for ourselves. It's that when we see that there's pain, when we see that there's oppression, when we see that there's an opportunity in our neighborhoods, we get to do something about it. I was talking about this with um, uh, a friend of ours, Jamie, and Jamie um, works in middle schools. And uh, they're amazing. <laughs> we were talking about activism. She's like, Chris, I do this every day. This is just my job. I have to go around and kids tell me these crazy things, these crazy ideas. In my mind, I'm like, this is crazy. It's never going to work. And I have to remind them who they are. Wow, that's really amazing, Billy. Yeah, thank you for sharing. <laughs> like she, she works every day of just reminding kids who they are, not based on how great their ideas are or how viable those ideas are, but reminding them, in that body, in that space, no matter the crazy things you say, you belong and that you're beautiful. Jamie's like changing kids' lives by just simply identifying and affirming who they are. And the kids, they go up and down and all around, upside down and inside out, right? That is, that is what junior high is. And I, I love people like Jamie who are affirming and reminding kids, yeah, yeah, all that, yeah, you still belong. You're still good.
And so, can we believe, dare we believe in a God this good? And to wrap it up, a little controversial issue, right? <laughs> Is that there's somehow, for those of us who have been in the church a long time, those who identify as Christians for a long time, and I would even say to like, just like culture as well, they think, well, if we have a good God, it can only be really good if there's something really bad, right? And that is a huge obstacle for people. Why would I believe in a God that creates people that if they don't get, the, the, they don't get it right, if they don't say the right prayer, if they don't get the right theology, if they don't get it all in the right order, then they get banished, cut off into what, hell or whatever word you want to use from existence? Some people believing in conscious torment of all time? That doesn't sound like a really good God. And I would agree with them, right? I remember teaching class, and it was some horrible name. It was like, uh, how to be a Christian 101, something like that. And I taught in that class about this and saying, oh, in the same way that we have a good God, to be a good parent means you have to give your kids consequences. I, I absolutely agree, <laughs> right? But if my 10-year-old turns around and punches, my, and punches his 7-year-old, right, or like eats his la banana Laffy Taffy, doesn't actually taste like a banana, right, then... I would have to go up to that 10-year-old and say, hey, buddy, um, you get no screen time, right? Or you might have to go have a timeout. I don't say, you are banished from this family forever. <laughs> you should have got it right, right? I would say that's not a good parent. In the same way with God, why do we have to have the absence of something to get the fullness of something? Why do we need to have... I heard one person say, a lot of people believe in hell because it makes them feel special. I did it right. I need a reward. I need, I need some affirmation because I did the work. I suffered. I suffered for the Lord. And so I need not just to have my personal salvation in check, I need that there is eternal damnation for those who don't perform like me. Right? What if, just crazy notion, what if we can believe in a God that is ultimately good? Right? What if we can believe in a God that actually was in the burning bush. As Moses walked by and finally saw it, walked up and said, who are you? And this bush, this God, this divine, this love says, I am. And what does it mean to be I am? Whatever describing words you put before or after it, are you good? I am. Are you me? I am. Are you present? Are you, are you here? I am. It is, a, it is a statement of totality. It is a statement that, that is the fullness of everything. Whatever you think, whatever you picture in the fullness of that, this divine is saying, I am. This is a God who chased after Hagar running into the wilderness, running away. There's a God who pursues her. And she's a first name God and says, you're a God who sees me. This is the God who comes to Mary and Mary sings this whole song about being seen in this humble state. This is a God who makes breakfast for Peter Right? And Peter goes out of his way in his own ego to cover his own financial viability, his believability, his masculinity, his access to power. He goes out of his way to deny, deny Jesus, to deny his friends. And what does he do? God shows up and makes fish for breakfast and says, who do you say I am, Peter? This is a God who shows up again and again and again. And our Grief, our pain, our human propensity to screw things up does not disqualify us from a good and beautiful life. I mean, how many times have you thought when something bad happens to you, you're like, well, what did I do to God? I must not have done the right thing. I mean, I, I, don't, I still do that. 
there's still times I'm like, if I have even like, um, I had a back pain. Like I really thought, I'm like, what sin did I commit where God's like, well, Chris, you didn't get it right enough. Let's punish your back. Right? I, it's, it's funny how I can still naturally go back that. But here's what, here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, um, in this world, you will find trouble. But take heart for I have overcome the world. Like, Jesus is normalizing the human experience. Jesus is saying, yeah, trouble, death, pain. Yeah, buckle up. It's going to be there but it does not need to define you. Why? What does it overcome means? It means love always wins. Like what, what does resurrection mean? It doesn't mean that we conquered death as in uh, now, they're, they're, now we get to go to heaven for all time. No, Jesus saying like heaven is now good. The fullness of life is not later. It's now. Jesus says in um, uh, Luke 2, he says the kingdom of God is at hand. Pivot. Pivot and receive the good news. Pivot and receive this kingdom. It is now. So as we have this human propensity to screw things up, as we miss the mark, it's not just saying we can never sin. It's never that we can never make errors. It's recognizing like the water when we ebb and we flow and we see the fruit of our decisions, the fruit of our capitalism, the fruit of our wealth, the fruit of our emotions, the fruit, whatever it might be, we see that it hurts or brings violence or pain or excludes someone, then we recognize it and we can use all these orthodox words, forgiveness, confession, repentance. All those things just mean that we pivot and move back towards the Christ. And we move in a place of love. This is what it means to be a good and beautiful community. That the belonging is in you. At the deepest part of you is the Christ. That goodness is in you. And we get to process this. We get to stumble through this. We get to evolve through this together. And I am, I am, I almost said a word, I am incredibly proud to be one of the pastors of this church because I get to do it as well. It's not me leading it like, all right, follow me because I am perfect and I'm great. No, I also have a human propensity to screw things up. And that still doesn't exclude me from getting the best of this community or the best of this divine. And when we have the freedom to do that, when we talk about liberation, when we talk about wholeness, when we talk about uh, I mean, good and beautiful, it, it means we collectively, communally get to do it. And I can't wait till we get to see each other on June 6th. So all my friends, here we go, right? My cup that says, I love me. To all my friends who you feel like you are killing it, you're in that sweet spot, cheers. To my friends who are in grief, cheers. To my friends who are in physical pain and as they move, they're reminded right, of, of the, the consequence, or, or not even that, that's a horrible word, I apologize, it's not a consequence. You're reminded of the pain that you carry, right? Here's to you. To my friends who are in, have those really good friends and the friends who are feeling like they are waiting for some really good friends, all of it belongs in your joy, in your grief, in your belonging, in your loneliness. So I'm gonna pray, and if you're in any of those spaces, as I pray, I encourage you just to receive it. Let's pray. So God, we, we love you. And I thank you that we don't have to believe in that what good and beautiful means that we never make mistakes. That to be good is to be perfect or perfection is to be this, like, um, this, this pure with no hard edges. But to be holy, to be sacred, to belong, to be good, is being alive. 
and that we can move and we can ebb and flow continually moving towards being a loving, kind, generous, benevolent people. So I pray for my friends who feel um, lonely, anxious, maybe excited, or very just content. In all of those spaces, God, you exist and you are alive. Help us step into that stream, that stream of love. And the temptation of the ego, the temptation of being able to dictate and control all the terms, step into that way of screwing things up. God, I pray you give us the wisdom and the moxie and the energy to see it for what it is, that it will never be enough. It only leads to destruction. And that we can pivot and move towards the kingdom. We can pivot and step into that place a place of divine love. So we love you. Amen. Amen. All right. Cheers, friends. I can't wait. We'll see you next Sunday as we celebrate the graduates. Graduates? Graduates. Graduates. Yay, graduates. <laughs> and as always, if you want to process any of the things I said, please hit me up. You can DM me or you can go on uh, neighborhoodchurchmn.org and our contact information and love to grab some coffee and we talk about all those things. So much love and blessings, friends.